0: Today on Fuzzy Logic, we bring three expert scientists together to discuss the problem that is polluting our oceans, choking our marine life, and growing exponentially. It's the problem with plastic. Good morning Canberra and welcome to another episode of Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday right here on Two X Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra and surrounds. My name is Broderick Matthews and it's a pleasure to have you with us today as we explore the problem with plastic. Thanks to the Sapphire Coast Marine Discovery Centre's Marine Science Forum happening on the 28th of May, we have three scientists joining us to talk about this problem. I'll tell you more about the forum later on today, but for now, I want you to come with me on a small journey. La dans un ciel long
1: de golf éclatant are reflet d'argent
2: la mer des reflets enjambant sous la pluie
0: la May recently i went on a holiday to indonesia And I was lucky enough to visit the island of Lombok with a friend of mine. And one day we were walking along the beautiful beaches of Sengigi, bare feet on the white sand, absolutely pristine, barely any seaweed. And we looked out, the sun blazing in the sky in that huge humidity. But the sea was a sparkling blue. The sun reflected off the peaks of the waves. As we walked along together, it was a beautiful scene. And we kept walking along the beach, making our way towards the headland, a rocky outcrop. Walking along, big smiles on our face. And then we got to the tip of the headland, turned the corner, and it was full of rubbish. Rubbish. Everywhere, littering the beach, just covering it. It was horrible. It didn't take us long to realise that the beautiful, pristine beach we'd just been walking on was the beach that was in front of the resorts, where the tourists are. The beach that's clean daily. But as we turned the corner, we saw that beach that reflected the true state of our ocean. And that beach was filled with rubbish, with rope, with netting, with fishing line, with discarded plastic bottles, with chip packets, with chocolate bar packets, with rubbish. And it didn't take me long to realise that all this rubbish was made of one thing. It was all plastic. There's a problem with plastic It's everywhere. It's choking our waterways. It's choking our world. But it's most obvious out there on our oceans and with our marine life. And that's starting to worry a lot of people.
1: I guess I was getting really concerned by the amount of plastics that I was seeing in the environment and I had the opportunity to work uh, around the world. I'd been diving in Indonesia, in Thailand, all over Australia and it was just seeing uh, so much more plastic entering the environment and it didn't really seem to be on anybody's radar and I was getting really concerned about the impact that that was having on our wildlife.
0: This is Haiti.
1: My name's Haiti Taylor and I'm the Managing Director of Tangaroa Blue Foundation.
0: Haiti was a dive instructor, but as she was out diving, she started to see a pollution problem. So rather than just putting up with it, she decided to do something about it and founded the Tangaroa Blue Foundation, a not-for-profit dedicated to the removal and prevention of marine debris. And this foundation has developed into the Australian Marine Debris Initiative.
1: And that program has, I guess, five main objectives. The first one is that we need to remove as much of the marine debris and the ocean pollution as we can from the beaches and from our rivers, uh, and that will remove the immediate threat that it, it poses. Um, but if that's all we do, then we'll be doing that forever. So we also need to understand why it was there in the first place. So we actually collect um, really detailed scientific data on what we're finding during our cleanups, and we use that data to track the debris back to the source And then we try and engage the relevant stakeholders, whether it's community or government or industry, to find practical solutions that would prevent those items from being released into the environment in the first place.
0: Finding the origin of this plastic pollution is key and it's giving some really interesting results.
1: Some of the stuff's really localised, uh, like you might find across the road from a cafe uh, you might find some kind of packaging from from mints or something like that that's just leaching out by uh, consumers or, or the customers leaving them when they're, they're leaving the leaving the cafe. Uh, in some cases we've been able to track promotional balloons that have uh, company names on them back to the source and, and explaining to people why releasing balloons in the environment is really dangerous for our wildlife because um, they don't just, you know, disintegrate in the air. They actually remain in the environment for years. Um, We also work uh, currently with industry, the plastics industry. We were finding a lot of plastic resin pellets that are used in the manufacture of plastic products. Um, These pellets were were leaching out of factories and also being lost during transportation. So that's an industry-wide, Australia-wide program that that we're working with the plastics industry just to implement um, things that would prevent that loss from occurring.
0: Talking to these companies has given Haiti mixed results
1: sometimes they were totally unaware of where their item was actually ending up and they were quite horrified and were quite willing to actually um, you know create some change that would would stop that and that's been a great good news story uh, for those companies and and those um, agencies to be able to say well look this has been identified and, and we've rectified it straight away um, because we want to do our bit uh, in some cases we've been you know, pretty much ignored or stonewalled and and we've had to, you know, create a bit more media um, awareness around a certain issue um, just to put a bit of pressure on for people to do the right thing.
0: Ultimately, consumers have power. What we buy tells businesses what we want. If we don't buy the plastic products, businesses won't make plastic products. People power is totally a way to get around all this how do you motivate people to do something about it is it having any effect on humans at the moment or is it all just marine species
1: so we know that over 663 different species worldwide are being impacted by marine debris and when i started um tangaroa blue back in 2004 that number was about 276 so it's more than doubled in the last 12 years We know that all our turtle species are being impacted. We know that most of our um, marine mammals are being affected and a huge amount of our seabirds. And so that's really concerning when we look at how much, about 8 million tonnes of rubbish entering the oceans every year from around the world. So our, our animals and our wildlife, they're just swimming around in it, they're eating it, they're getting caught in it. It's really affecting their critical habitat. Um, However, we also know that uh, fish eat plastics, particularly when plastic starts to photodegrade, it just basically breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces, but it will never go away. And the smaller a piece, the more animals can eat it. We know that those plastics also have toxins in them because some plastics are hard, some are soft, some are fire retardant and you use chemicals to make that happen. So if a fish eats a piece of plastic, it's ingesting toxins as well as the plastic and that bioaccumulates up the food chain. I guess the top of that is that we know those chemicals are also endocrine disruptors which can affect fertility. And how that will actually affect human reproduction in the next 50 years is something that science is still trying to determine. But it is quite scary if you think that, you know, in 50 years' time, maybe the human race will have problems reproducing because of the amount of toxins that we've accumulated in our body because we can't manage our waste properly.
0: These are unknowns here, but they are dire predictions. Sure, we're not necessarily certain about what effects these are going to have, but the potential is mind-blowing. The exponential growth of plastic is just going to overrun us in so many ways, physically, chemically, biologically. It's not a future that I'm looking forward to.
1: The problem is is that by the time we have this definitive proof, we're probably going to be at a point of no return. How do we turn around from, from that? So, you know, 20, by 2050, recent research or recent media coverage um, was saying by 2050 we're actually going to have more plastic in the ocean than fish. That is a really dire prediction.
0: And there's plenty more that's worrying as we start to look towards the future.
1: I think that we get to a point where we can't turn around um, humans you know we we like to do what we do we, we like to live good lifestyles and um, we, we don 't like to change unless you know our daily life is is being impacted and Unfortunately, by the time it it gets changed, you know it 's where we 're going to be whether we 're going to actually have sustainable seafood. most of the planet relies on seafood to eat uh, if our seafood source is being impacted, you know what kind of impact will that have on our food on our our health, on our industry, um, yeah. There's some pretty big questions that that are being asked, and uh, we we really need to start looking at this seriously. There was a a paper that was or a report that was repeated or uh, released this week um, that showed that in the Great Barrier Reef catchment, that plastic pollution was the number one emerging threat to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, so this is becoming a really big issue, and as more research gets done, yeah, the predictions are pretty dire.
0: The future looks grim, but we have to have some light shining at the end of the long dark tunnel, don't we? So Tangaroa Blue is trying to help us reach that light.
1: So we spent probably the first oh, seven or eight years really engaging community in doing beach cleanups, but also collecting data using the Australian Marine Debris Initiative methodology just to make sure that everybody was collecting data the same way and inputting it into the database. And now there's over 5.6 million pieces of data in the database from about 1,800 beaches and rivers around Australia. So we have a huge, big, robust database now that we can use as evidence to create change.
0: And through that unique collection method of tracking and logging, the Australian Marine Debris Initiative is having success.
1: It's. I think it's why we've been able to get so much traction, um, you know, by volunteers and communities. Is that you know those guys now are, are kind of like a, a CSI um, <laughs> marine debris team out there. They're not rubbish collectors. You know, they're collecting evidence and data, and, and we need that to push change because without the evidence, it's really hard to to get anything changed at all. And so probably the next ten years, Tangaroa Blue will be focusing on assisting local government, assisting state government, assisting federal government, assisting industries in creating those changes that, that need to happen. Uh, the last... Six months. I've spent working with councils around Australia, looking at what the data is telling us from their specific area, and implementing really local changes um, that will reduce um, reduce litter. Uh, last week, we had Cottesloe Council in Perth uh, actually um, put a, a balloon ban in place um, through their council processes, and and that was a result from a workshop that we held with the community at the beginning of this year. So we are starting to get those changes. We just need to be very specific in what we want done um, and we also need to be able to monitor it to make sure that the plans that we put in place are, are working. And I guess that's where we'll focus our, our energies in really getting those changes happening on the ground.
0: So the Australian Marine Debris Initiative is having an effect thanks to the work of Heidi Taylor at the Tangaroa Blue Foundation. The word Tangaroa actually comes from Maori and Polynesian mythology. And Tangaroa is the god of the ocean. If you look after me, then I will look after you, is what Tangaroa says. In fact, Tangaroa made laws to protect the ocean and its sea creatures. And sometimes, if we want to make change, we not only need to push as people and a community, but we need that higher-up action from law and policy. And that brings us to Karen.
3: So I'm uh, Karen Robenheimer. I've just uh, submitted a PhD uh, which looks at the uh, effectiveness of the international policy framework in preventing marine debris.
0: So Karen's been looking at how policy helps regulate the debris that ends up out at sea.
3: Well, there's generally two broad sources that everyone divides marine plastic debris into and that's your ocean based sources and your land based sources. So ocean bait sources would be your fishing gear, coming from fishing vessels, obviously, and just general garbage that comes from cruise liners, um, ferries, cargo ships, uh, that sort of thing. So there's two main policies that govern that. We have one which we call MARPOL, and that has an annex which is specific to garbage generated during the normal operations of a vessel. So it's a vessel that's just going about doing what it's It normally does and happens to generate garbage along the way.
0: So that policy has basically banned the dumping of any plastic at sea. We have to make sure our ports are well stocked with free disposal facilities to help boats get rid of the plastic when they come back to shore. But with most countries signed on, even though it's a voluntary protocol, it is stopping that dumping of plastic overboard while vessels are out at sea. But that's not the only source of plastic rubbish.
3: The real problem really is the plastics that are generated on land, which we know is the biggest um, contributor to marine plastic debris. We, The London Dumping Convention um, does say that we have to manage our waste on land before we can even consider dumping. So there's a, a few measures in there. The Law of the Sea Convention has some very broad overarching obligations as well to protect the ocean from land-based sources, but it's really just one one line, um, so it's, it's not specific enough, and it's way too general. Other than that, we have a few land-based source policies that um, are within the regional seas program. Uh, they don't sufficiently deal with plastic. They um, they deal with all kinds of pollution from land, so your runoff from agriculture, etc. Uh, so there's nothing really at an international level that governs land-based source marine plastic debris, and that's partly because we have to respect the sovereignty of countries. So we can't tell countries how to spend their money and what they need to do within their own territory, Um, whereas we can try and govern what they do um, on the high seas, but that that is sufficiently governed at the moment. So there's a big gap in the international framework at the moment for land-based sources of plastic.
0: Now, oceans cover our entire globe, so it really should be every country's responsibility to help maintain them. So if we can't force laws on terrestrial land, what can we do?
3: The international community would have to agree that the problem is severe enough to come together and do something about it. They have done that in the past, but the instruments they've come up with are voluntary. So we have the Honolulu Convention, which came up with some quite comprehensive um, ideas, but it's voluntary, so there's no way of really enforcing it or measuring it. It didn't give any measures or ways of measuring success. So The international community does um, have an obligation to protect the oceans, and it's up to them if they wanted to come together. But like other conventions, take, for instance, the Montreal Protocol, which looked at the hole in the ozone layer, the world came together and it basically boiled down to a cost-benefit analysis. So the world decided, yeah, the cost of skin cancer to governments was going to be far more than the cost of converting to a different chemical and paying developing countries the difference of converting their factories to different chemicals as well. So it it was a, a no-brainer, really.
0: So it's all about money. Money worked for CFCs. There was enough there to show that changing the propellant was going to make financial sense. But unfortunately, there just isn't that same cost-benefit to plastics. They're too cheap. It's just too easy and affordable for us to have plastic. But just like the fossil fuels that go into creating plastics, fossil fuel electricity is something we're slowly starting to phase out of as we find alternatives that are not only renewable but also cheaper. As solar and wind power have come down in price, people and governments are starting to take advantage of this and use this renewable source of power. So where's our alternative for plastic? Is there a renewable material that we can use instead of plastic
3: well that's the big problem at the moment there is no alternative that's completely safe um, and to be completely safe it would have to break down back to constituent components but as to make a polymer you have to heat it up to such high temperatures that you, you're never really going to get those temperatures in nature so you either need microbes to break it down um, or uh, like um, commercial composting which has high temperatures, um, you know, the things that aren't, aren't really available in the ocean. So there's been no real breaks at the technological level. I did read somewhere that someone may have created a polymer that could be repeatedly recycled, and that that's really what we need is that plastic can be recycled over and over again, um, similar to glass and aluminium. At the moment, you can really recycle it once. Pet, you can recycle a few times, but plastic gets recycled once, and then the second product has to go to landfill or be incinerated Um, you know, something that's not really the answer. They're just really kicking it down another generation. So we need plastic to be be able to be recycled multiple times.
0: Or taking it a step further, could we even start to move towards a life fantastic without plastic?
3: There's a lot of people doing a lot of work, trying to live a plastic-free life, but I don't think that's achievable for the average person out there. Um, So we do need to make things more available to people, you know, like the supermarkets that don't, wrap everything in plastic. And you still have a choice if you go to Coles. You can, you know, I pick up a load of mushroom bags and any loose beans go in there and everything else goes loose in my bag. So it is quite possible to, I would say, at least halve your plastic intake um, in, in a current environment if you're shopping at Coles and Woolworths and things like that. Um, you can do it with a little bit of effort um, and just being quite conscious of it. And if I do end up with a plastic bag, I make sure I use it at least two or three times.
0: Being that unique material that it is, whether it's hard, rigid, or soft and flexible, plastic has a lot of applications and it can still serve a genuine purpose in our lifestyles. It's still something we can use because in a lot of ways we do need to use it.
3: Plastic has its place in our society too. So if we had to get rid of all plastics if you think about the transport industry and construction, we'd probably be using a lot more fossil fuels and have a far higher greenhouse gas emissions if we didn't have plastics in those sorts of industries. So the long-term plastics and, you know, our piping, all that stuff, that's a good place for plastic. Um, it's, it's the disposable plastics that we have to work on.
0: And we have to work hard. This is a huge culture change. We've gotten so used to having plastic in everything that we do that we need to think about where the plastic is and how we can avoid using it because it's having a vast effect on our environment. And I want to head into that environment now. I want to make our way down the Sapphire Coast towards Bawnda National Park.
2: It's a fantastic national park. I mean, people come from all over Australia and indeed from around the world to visit. It's got Wallagoot Lake, which is a uh, beautiful coastal uh, estuary and it's popular with recreational users, um, people who like to fish, people who bird watch, watch people who kayak and uh, it drains out onto um, I guess what we would call Wallagoot Beach and uh, Bournda Beach and they are just absolutely beautiful. You get a glorious um, view, there's forests nearby. There's dunes, which are very interesting to look at. There's Bondi Lake, which is a freshwater lake located just behind the dune system. So it's a nationally significant wetland. Bondi Lagoon is a very, very popular uh, spot with locals, especially when it's hot for um, swimming. So it really, it's a a very attractive uh, place for people and a haven for all sorts of species of plants and animals, which uh, people enjoy uh, seeing protected.
0: This is Doug, and Doug really likes his job.
2: Uh, My name's Doug Record. I'm the principal of Bournda Environmental Education Centre, which is kind of like my dream job, so I'm pretty happy about that.
0: Doug's working hard with local schools to help them reduce the amount of disposable plastic that they're throwing away.
2: We currently are running a waste education program with the Canberra Region Joint Organisation of Councils, which is a coalition of councils in south-east New South Wales that contribute... uh, Funding towards waste education and so one of the, the jobs that we're doing is, uh, you know, working with schools to look at the waste that they're producing and, you know, the, everyone is keen to reduce uh, waste to landfill, you know, so even with the waste that we see of as controlled, um, we're trying to find uh, ways to reduce that waste and to have schools um, having their students really thinking about the waste that they're producing
0: and while the waste in schools isn't directly going into our oceans and causing marine debris this education program still makes a difference to our waterways
2: if we can get students to have that awareness of the the waste that they're producing and where it's going we feel that that's going to strongly influence their behavior when they're out and about doing what they do because obviously roadside litter and people's careless discarding of waste is is producing uh, at least part of that marine debris problem
0: and that's a very visible part of the problem but what about the plastics we can't see
2: what we're realizing uh, as a society is that in some cases it's the plastic that we can't actually see that there are plastic microbeads uh, really tiny plastic particles Which are part of some products, including cosmetic products, and they're finding their way into, uh, you know, water disposal systems and they're not being uh, filtered out and uh, they're ending up in the marine environment and they're causing uh, a whole range of problems that we can't even see. So the plastic waste that is sometimes the most obvious is sometimes easier for us to uh, deal with than these uh, microplastics which are you know, less than a millimetre in diameter and uh, you can't necessarily see them. It's affecting organisms at levels that we might not uh, obviously see. I mean, we see a, a whale entangled in a fishing net. I mean that's very obvious but when filter feeding animals are ingesting these plastic particles we're we're not really sure of the physiological uh, impacts on on the organisms but um, the research that is being done shows that there are harmful effects on a whole range of marine creatures.
0: So there's plastics out there that we can see and plastics out there that we can't see but it's all a human problem. We've caused it and it's only humans that are going to be able to fix it. So the million-dollar question is how do you motivate people to start to take action on something they've become so complacent towards?
2: I would say that some people see pictures of you know, baby seabirds that have been fed plastic, and that's sufficient motivation for them to say, look, I don't want to be part of this, I want to change my lifestyle to uh, reduce the amount of plastic that I'm using every day. Uh, other people, they may be more inclined uh, to focus a on a financial plastic, incentive and we've toxins, just had the great news as well as in New plastic. South Wales the that the government has uh, you know, approved the container deposit scheme and so some people, their motivation might be, gee, when I go for a walk on the beach or um, in an estuary, I can pick up ten dollars worth of plastic bottles or beverage containers and make a dollar out of it. So I think we've got to look at all those all those things because not not everyone today fuzzy logic. We bring three motivations.
0: For me, I'm motivated by a beautiful environment. I love scuba diving. I love bushwalking. I love exploring the wildlife that's there, and I know that if we don't take care of it, it's not going to be there. I want to take pride in my environment and pride in the world around me to keep it there for the future.
2: People do recognise how stunning the Sapphire Coast is and if you're in a place, uh, you live in a place and you value the environment, how is that reflected in your lifestyle and is your lifestyle consistent with the values that you want protected? So therefore, if marine... Debris is a problem. Well, do you you know do you do you have a reusable drink container that you use over and over again rather than buying bottled water? Do you uh, use uh, canvas or reusable shopping bags rather than single-use plastic bags? And I mean, they're questions that we have to ask ourselves because um, there's no point, uh, you know. Being uh, saying that you, know, you love the place you live in if you're, if you're not actually doing the things necessary to protect it. And uh, we don't want to do that in a, in a wholly than now way or a way that makes people feel uncomfortable, but I think we just have to agree that there's a set of behaviours that protect the environment and there's a set of behaviours that damage the environment and we've got to move uh, whole large sections of the population in the direction of those protective behaviours.
0: Often in sports games you'll have players who say that uh, we as a team need to take a good hard look at ourselves, And that's a challenge I want to put out to Team Earth, Team Australia at the moment. I think we all need to take a good hard look at ourselves and decide what sort of a world we want to live in. Sure, plastics are cheap and they're easy too. They make life simple, but at what cost? What is the cost of taking that plastic bag when with a little extra effort we can just grab the canvas one from home? What's the cost of taking the disposable coffee cup lid when we can just bring our own keep cup or even better, our own mug? What's the cost of picking up the veggies wrapped in the Glad wrap where there's some there out in bulk all ready to grab on their own without any wrapping around them? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. We as humans have a problem with plastic and we need to get over it. Because if we don't, the plastic's going to take over us. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Fuzzy Logic. If you want to hear more, then why don't you head down to the Sapphire Coast Marine Discovery Centre Marine Science Forum, Turning the Tide on Trash. This forum is on May 28 and 29 down at Club Sapphire in Marimbula and features the three scientists we spoke to today, plus a few more, and they'll be discussing the problems, working towards solutions and dissecting the issue of marine debris. There's a whole lot on offer, including practical workshops and tips, So I highly recommend you head down there. Thank you to our scientists who joined us today to talk about this important issue. Heidi Taylor, Karen Raubenheimer and Doug Record. Also thanks to Gillian Browning for her help connecting to the scientists and transcription work. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can download Fuzzy Logic podcasts. Just head to fuzzylogic on 2xx.podbean.com or search for Fuzzy Logic Science Show on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at FuzzyLogicSci. That's S-C-I. My name's Broderick Matthews. Thank you for tuning in to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday.